Mark chapter number 11. Y'all pray for me. I'm distracted up here. I love Reese's. And I'm looking at a whole stack of them right here. Matter of fact, we might as well just go ahead and get this out of the way. <laughs> uh, sometime this year I had one, so while, while, while we're praying at some point tonight, I'll slip those in my pocket. <laughs> brother, brother Prophet's been lying to you. I'll steal from you. Amen. <laughs> we were in that service that was in 2003 up in Delaware. Brother Alan Ryman's the pastor there, and Brother Ryman's a crazy preacher. They do all kinds of crazy things around their church. There's a young man named Roe. Roe was, I think he was just coming out of his teen years. And Man, Roe would get cranked up. He'd do all kinds of crazy things. He'd do cartwheels, punch holes in the wall. The preacher finally had to say, listen, that's not worship. I mean, tearing the church up is not worship. Uh, but the summer of 2003, Brother Leroy Dalrymple was having a camp meeting down in Florida. And uh, they said, I wasn't there, Brother Prophet, but they said it got on one night and Brother Leroy just went up and jumped in the baptistry. I don't have any problem believing that, amen? Brother, Brother Leroy can get pretty crazy too. And they said the rest of the week that during that meeting, every time they'd get on, there'd be a line for the baptistry. Everybody jumping in the baptistry. And so Roe, that young man, he said later on that summer, we was having that meeting in Delaware, he said, man, if it gets on this week, I'm going to jump in the baptistry. Well, sure enough, Friday night, it was about 10.30 at night. We'd been in church for a long time, and they, they wanted Brother Earl to come up and sing that song, I'll Be Gone, and uh, when the tribulation enters, I'll be gone. And he got up and sang that, and man, that place came unglued. And next thing you know, there goes Roe jumping in the baptistry. And <laughs> he said, I wouldn't do that. Well, don't. <laughs> Amen. I'm not, I'm not promoting that. I'm just telling you what happened. <laughs> you say, was God in it? I don't know. I have no idea if God was in that or not. But I can tell you what God ain't in. A bunch of people that's been saved and washed in the blood and blessed just sitting there like a bunch of deadheads. <laughs> and I know He ain't in that. But anyways, that was quite a service. But I appreciate y'all letting us come today and get your meeting kicked off. And, and uh, appreciate you being kind to us. And I hope we can come back again. As a matter of fact, your pastor, he already gave me the love offering. Already booked me back for next year. So, man, I can say whatever I want to say tonight. We're we good to go. <laughs> no, we'll try to, try to help you from the Word of God tonight. Aren't you thankful for the Bible? Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm glad for a book. And uh, I, guess, I guess all young preachers go through this. Uh, man, 20 years ago when God called me to preach and I started in the ministry, I'd hear guys like Joe Arthur and Harry Nix, man, those guys would get up and preach the glory down. And I thought, man, I want to preach like that. And I'd sit there and steal Joe Arthur's sermons. Man, I'd jot them down and I'd go to the next church and try to preach it. And I found out real quick, I ain't a glory preacher. <laughs> but another preacher helped me along the way. He said, just be a Bible preacher. Just preach the book and be who you are. Man, I love to hear Cody Zorn. Y'all have had Brother Cody here. He's one of my favorites. He's got so much energy. Just watching that Cody preaches wears me out. Amen. I've got a hanky out wiping sweat just watching him preach. I love Brother Cody, but I'm not Brother Cody. I'm not Joe Arthur. I'm, I, I am who I am. But you know what? We got a book, and that book will get the job done. Amen. Mark chapter number 11, and we'll read a few verses here, beginning in verse number 12. 
And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. Seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. You can be seated tonight. Now this, this text here, if you've studied your Bible and understand what's really going on the context of the Scripture here, it speaks primarily of Israel. But there's a word of warning here for every one of us. Just as the Lord examined this tree, He examines my life and He examines your life. We live in a day everybody wants to say, Judge not! Y'all heard that? Judge not. They don't even know where it's at in the Bible. They don't even know the rest of the verse. What they're doing is they don't want anybody, amen, judging them for their sin. It don't matter whether I judge your sin or not. The Bible and God's already judged it to begin with. I'm going to tell you what. The Lord being as high and as holy and righteous as He is, He has every right to judge us and examine our lives. And He does that. And I wonder tonight, does he see us bearing fruit for his glory? Or does he see a tree full of leaves and nothing else? I want to preach tonight on that little thought there where it said he saw nothing but leaves. I don't want that to be said of my life. When the Lord looks at my life, I hope he finds more than just leaves. When he looks at Bethel Independent Baptist Church here, I hope he sees more than just Pretty leaves. You know what we do we, in the mountains in the fall? We like to drive down the road and watch the leaves changing colors. It's a beautiful thing. I like what your preacher said. You know, it's a, boy, it's a picture of the resurrection. Those leaves die and then they come back in the spring. And even yesterday, I, I got off there at Hendersonville, Tennessee, and I took the back roads up to, here to Glasgow just enjoying the pretty fall sights. And then it dawned on me, I'm looking at those trees. I thought, man, all I'm doing is looking at trees on hospice. (laughs) They're they're dying. They look pretty while they're dying. But you know what? The Lord's not one bit impressed with leaves. He's looking for more than leaves. Notice just some introductory thoughts here. Look at verse number 12. Again, we see the Lord's desire. The Bible said, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, He was hungry. The Lord desires something from this tree that's going to satisfy that hunger. By the way, what a thought that the King of glory, the King of kings, amen, would leave the glory and splendor and the perfectness of heaven and condescend to come down to this earth uh, to be born of man, to walk among men and die on a cross and to know what it is to hunger. Nobody knows what it is to hunger in heaven. That's something he never knew in the glory of heaven, but he left all that to come down here for a bunch of sinners. Amen. He's hungry. He's looking for something that will satisfy his hunger. You know what, brother and sister? There's going to be people that will come through the doors of this church. They're not looking to be entertained. They're not looking to be, amen, impressed. Amen. All they're looking, they're looking for something that will satisfy their hunger. I wonder, are they getting it? They're coming thirsty. They're not interested in how good the singing is. They're not interested in whether you got a good pulpiteer or not. They're looking for something from God. The Lord's desire. But then notice in verse 13, 
the Lord's disappointment. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. He didn't find what he was looking for. I hope that won't be said of me. When he examines my life, I hope he's not disappointed in what he sees. And then we see the Lord's declaration in verse 14. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. He cursed the tree. He didn't find what he was looking for. And he cursed it. So we know tonight based on the scripture here that the Lord's not looking for leaves. So what is he looking for? There's three things we find here in the scripture that the Lord is actually looking for. We, we tend to look on the outside and we're impressed with what we see. And there's nothing wrong with having nice buildings and facilities. Nothing wrong with having a, having a good crowd in the church. I believe as God's people, amen, that we ought to look different outwardly. I mean, what God has done inside of us, it ought to show up on the outside. But I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, God ain't near impressed with those leaves as man is. Oh, we can fool man. We can, we can put on a good show for, eat, for one another. Hey, man, we do it every, we, I mean, people do it in Baptist churches every Sunday morning. I mean, live, live for themselves and live for the devil all week long, but they know how to put on a good show when they come to church on Sunday. We put on our leaves of self-righteousness. Let's get into this before it goes downhill real quick. <laughs> Brother Davis and Brother McCurry, they'll fix all this over the next few days. So what's the Lord looking for? Well, I see first of all, He's looking for suitable fruit. We may have all the appearances of life like that tree did, but is there any fruit? Verse 13, we see the display of the tree. Again, it said, seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves. Now the leaves indicated that the tree professed to have fruit as well. But there was no fruit. I'm reminded when I think of those fig leaves in Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 3 verse 7, we find the first time that figs are mentioned. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They messed up real bad. And you know what they did? They used fig leaves to make aprons to cover up their nakedness. But those leaves weren't going to get the job done. Anytime there's sin, God's looking for blood. So that right there in Genesis chapter 3, what Adam and Eve did, they're making them aprons of fig leaves, it establishes the fig tree as a picture of self-righteousness. I'm going to cover up my own sin. My own way. It ain't going to work. You better do it God's way. You better do it the Bible way. They're better, you better, yeah, man, you better cry out and plead the blood we got a lot of people today that claim to be saved, and maybe some are saved, but they're still not living for God, or maybe they're full of just old self-righteousness. They have a self-righteous spirit. You know, we promote standards and convictions and separation from this world. We, we preach that. We promote it. Amen. But if you're not careful, your convictions will become all about you, and look at me, and look what our family does, or we don't do, or we don't go there, and we don't go there, and we don't dress like this, and, and we don't dress like... And that's good until it becomes all about you. You're trying to impress everybody. Listen, I mean, our family, my family, God's given me, there are places we ain't going to go. There are things we're not going to do. Music, we ain't going to listen to. And things on that television, we ain't going to watch. 
But our convictions are not about impressing you. We just want to be close to the Lord. I don't want, to, I don't want anything to come between me and the Lord. It's not to impress you. It's not to intimidate you. Some people use their standards to intimidate others. That's not the purpose. By the way, let me say this. Have you ever met anybody in our independent fundamental Bible-believing churches that, I mean, they were just full of themselves? I mean, they had convictions and standards running out their ears, but they were mean about it? If your convictions make you mean, you miss the point somewhere. Brother Roloff used to sing that song, Jesus Will Keep You Sweet. Man, as we draw closer to the Lord, it ought to produce a sweetness in our life. It ought to produce some fruit in our life. The display of the tree looked real good, but it didn't have what the Lord was looking for. We see the desolation of the tree. The Bible said if happily, in verse 13, he might find anything thereon, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. I'm telling you, many professing Christians today, they have an apron of fig leaves, but they have no fruit to back it up. We, we see it, we see it in our priorities. People, people today, I mean professing Christians today, we got our priorities all out of whack. There was a day when God and the church was at the top of the list. People would say, Junior going to be at the ball game? As long as we ain't got nothing going on at the church. Are they going to be in the school play? Are they going to be at the school function? As long as we ain't got nothing going on at the church. Y'all going to be at the family reunion? As long as it don't interfere with church. Amen. Now we're in a day, well preacher, we'll be there. As long as ain't nothing else going on. Amen. You got a bunch of leaves. You ain't got no fruit. Amen. We see it in our priorities. Used to, there was a time when the church was a priority in the community. And now it's just, well, as long as everything's good with the weather and and ain't nothing else going on. Priorities. And I heard a black preacher from North Carolina back when this COVID stuff all started. You probably saw it. Man, he made the statement talking about the governor of North Carolina. He said, he didn't deem us non-essential. We did it ourselves. Well, that's a true statement. In our plans. Man, we'll spend months planning to go on vacation. People will get loans for thousands of dollars to go down to Disney World. Disneyland and... And I mean, we make all kind of, we plan for those, we plan for back to school, we plan for all kind of things, but then we don't plan for church. Church is just kind of, well, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, stay up 12, 1 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night, haven't prayed, hadn't read our Bible all week, hadn't been seeking the face of God, roll out of bed just in time to comb our hair and brush our teeth and run down to church, and we plop down in the seat and say, all right, Lord, here I am, bless me. Why should He bless us? We've given no thought to Him all week long. The Bible lays in the back seat of the car or on the coffee table. Our our prayer life is so weak and then we we, we fill our minds and our hearts with the junk of this whole world and then we plop down in the seat and just expect God to bless us. He ought to curse us like He did that tree. The way we treat Him, the way we treat the church, the way we treat this blessed whole book. Oh, it ought to break our hearts, amen. And then we have the audacity to go out saying, boy, the preacher just wasn't really plugged in today. He just didn't, boy, the choir, they just didn't have it today. By the way, choir, y'all did good this morning, amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about, though. Amen, you ain't prayed. You ain't searched your heart. You ain't done any repenting. 
And then you're going to go out the door blaming it on everybody else. And you're the one that's desolate. We see it in the praise in our churches are the lack of. Man, I'm amazed at how many dead Baptist churches I go to around America. And what's even more sad than that, I'll, especially in, in the Bible Belt in the southeast, man, I'll go to some of these churches, I mean, dead as dry as cracker juice. And then all the old-timers want to come by and say, we grew up listening to Mays Jackson and Billy Kelly and Dr. Seitler. And I'm thinking, what happened to you? Because those men promoted praise. Man, we've dried up somewhere along the way. Man, we need to get back to praising God. I know every service ain't going to get up on the mountaintop. Every service ain't supposed to be high. They're not all supposed to be shouting services. I'm telling you, as good as God has been to us, every now and then we ought to just come to church so full of God, amen, so full of it and joy about how good He's been to us, amen. We ought to come in here ready to praise Him. Hey, if we'd be praising Him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, it wouldn't be a big deal for us to all come in here on Sunday and praise Him corporately and give Him glory and praise that He deserves, amen. And we ought to be praising Him. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. Man, we're getting so quiet. Man, I feel sorry for this generation coming up. I wonder what our churches are going to be like in another ten years. Man, I remember we'd go to church years ago. The men would shout. I mean, they'd say things like, Amen! Hallelujah! Glory to God! Nowadays, if they get excited at all, it's... It's like a golf clap. <laughs> Amen. I'm afraid all the men of our church have been neutered. Amen. They used to, they used to have some gumption about them, some grit. Hey, I already got the offering. Book back for next year. Hallelujah. <laughs> Man, I, I remember going to church when the women would get happy in the Lord. Amen. I grew up in a, in a, in a crowd of independent Baptists. They taught that the women couldn't shout. They had to be, you know, let the women keep silence in the church. Apparently they didn't understand that 1 Corinthians 14 was all about speaking in tongues. (laughs) I also read in the Bible where it said, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. I remember the first time I heard, I mean, a spirit-filled woman worship and shout. I mean, it scared me a little bit. I was down at Brother Sammy Allen's camp meeting and man, it was getting on and the lady, older, older white haired lady sitting in front of me, she just jumped up and both hands in the air. I mean, commenced, I mean, she went to screaming and, and, and worshiping and praising. It scared me a little bit. And then I thought, well, man, she's just enjoying her salvation. I like it. Man, we're, we're losing that, y'all. I like to go to church when it gets a little noisy every now and then. Other than at a business meeting. Amen. I like, I, like, I like it when, when people raise their hand in church and they ain't even got a question. I like that. Amen. We're missing that. The desolation of the tree. But then there's a discussion with the tree. In verse 14, look at it. And Jesus answered and said unto it. I wonder what the tree said. The Bible said He answered and said unto it. There's no other discussion going on here with any of the disciples around. Jesus is talking to the tree. Now right now, some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Why wouldn't He have a conversation with a tree? He made it. He created it. 
I say that sometimes and people just, they, they look like they want to lock me up in a mental hospital. But you mean to tell me that you believe there is a supreme being, a God in heaven, who threw all this out and created it all in six days, sent His Son to die on a cross, born of a virgin, died, buried, rose again, and one day He's going to come back and take us to His house where there's mansions and glory and streets of gold. You believe all that, but you don't believe He can have a conversation with a tree. you got some weak faith. <laughs> he has this discussion with the tree. In verse 14, He answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And His disciples heard it. And then we see the death of the tree. Look at verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. By the way, that's a miracle in and of itself because it's usually the opposite way. Verse 21, And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Barrenness leads to destruction. If there's no fruit in my life, if there's no fruit in your life, in the life of this church, it's going to lead to destruction. The Dead Sea is dead because it takes in water, but it has no outlet. And that's what makes Calvinism so dangerous. Listen, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. There's some good men that believe in Calvinism and Reformed theology. Who, who, Brother Prophet, I believe they really love the Lord. And some of them will even dive deeper into the Word of God than a lot of fundamentalists will. But if all you're doing, here's the danger, if all you're doing is soaking it in and taking it in, but there's no outlet, there's no evangelism, there's there's no missions work, if all you're doing is soaking it in, but it ain't going out, you're going to die. Could I say it this way? If you go to the Lighthouse restaurant every day and eat and eat and eat and take it in, Can we just stop right there without getting gross? Hey, if something ain't coming out at some point, you're going to die. Amen. Is that plain enough for you? (laughs) But you're going to die spiritually if there's no outflow. You say, preacher, I love studying the Bible and I love soaking it in. Good. We always study to show thyself approved unto God. Workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are to study the word of God, soak it in. But is anything coming out? Are you telling anybody else about how good God's been to you? Are you sharing the gospel with anybody? Do you have a burden for lost souls? If not, you're going to die spiritually. And this tree could not exist without the blessing of its Creator. And neither can you and I. We cannot spiritually exist without our Creator's blessing. He's looking for suitable fruit. Let me give you these last two things. Secondly, He's looking for supernatural faith. Verse 22 of our chapter said, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. So there's a connection between this fig tree having nothing but leaves and having faith in God. See, in verse number 13, if you'll look at the end of the verse, it said, for the time of figs was not yet. Now, it really looks like the Lord's being hard on this tree. 
The fact is, it wasn't even time for it to be bearing fruit or have figs. But I'd say this, if the Creator wants fruit, it doesn't matter what season it is. And what the Lord's trying to do for us is He's trying to get us to quit thinking in the realm of the natural and start thinking and operating in the supernatural. You do understand, even in the year 2020, we still serve a living God. We serve a supernatural God. We serve a miracle-working God. Now listen, I don't believe in divine healers. Amen. Benny Hinn couldn't cure a ham. By the way, where's anybody heard from Benny since March? Since all this coat, where's Benny at? Where's all the faith healers at? I did see where Kenneth Copeland, I mean, denounced COVID and said it was going away. It It didn't work very good, did it? No, I don't believe in divine healers, but I do believe in a divine, amen, I do believe in a divine healer, amen. I do believe in a God that still works miracles. As a matter of fact, if you're saved here tonight, that is the greatest miracle, the miracle of salvation. And I I think think we've learned how to have church without the Holy Ghost. We've been to the seminaries and the colleges and, and and the conferences. We've learned how to have church without God. We've learned how to just operate in the natural. We've got it all figured out. We know how to do church real good. Brother Rick, I remember years ago, a lot of them camp meetings, I'd go in and somebody would sing or something and then the moderator would look up to him like, what's he going to do next? And man, they'd just sit there. I mean, sometimes five minutes at a time, they'd just sit. Finally, I leaned over to a preacher. I said, what, what are we doing? He said, we're just waiting on God. See what God wants to do. We're in a day and hour, people just don't have time to wait on God. We're afraid we're going to miss the ball game. We're afraid we're going to miss our favorite television program. We're going to miss who's going to win American Idol or America's Got Talent. You know, all these important things. And our churches are getting weaker and weaker. Our faith is growing weak. We've got God in our little box. Every now and then we'll open up the box. How you doing in there, God? I'm telling you, we need to have some faith in God. We see the power of faith. He says in verse 22, have faith in God. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He talks about the power of faith. You say, Brother Daniel, I've never been able to make a mountain be removed into the sea because he's using an illustration, that's not our need. I've never had a mountain that I needed to be cast into the sea. He's talking about when our faith lines up with our needs and they line up with what God has for us. The power of faith. And I've seen God provide time and time again in my life. Man, I've watched him over and over and over. I mean, when I didn't know where things were going to come from or how things were going to get paid, man, God just stepped in. Do y'all realize we don't hear a lot of testimonies like that anymore? When I was a boy, about once a month we'd have testimony service and there would always be at least one testimony like, like this. Preacher, we didn't know. We didn't know how the bills were going to get paid, but then a knock came at the door or something came in the mail we wasn't expecting. 
We didn't know where the next meal, the food was going to come from. And, and a phone call came. God met the need. We don't hear that anymore. You know why? We've all got our credit cards. And, and don't get nervous. I'm, I'm not, I have a credit card. I ain't gonna, I'm not going to have an invitation to have you lay your credit cards on the altar. I'm not Dave Ramsey. But i tell you what them credit cards have done to us. We, we've become more dependent upon them than we do God. Let me ask you, when, when's the last time you found yourself in a tight spot and before you reached for the credit card, you got on your knees and prayed and, and at least gave God a chance Amen. to come through? Good. And His interest rates aren't near as high as Visa and MasterCard. Amen. We don't even give Him a chance to work anymore. We're, we're, so, we're, so, we're so conditioned and trained to rely on this world and its society we don't even have faith. We don't even give God a chance to work anymore. And our testimony services, they're pretty shallow. Power of faith. We see the prayer of faith, verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. You shall have them. That speaks of the possibilities of this prayer of faith. Believe and you shall receive. Now again, that is conditioned that what you're believing in and praying for lines up with the will of God. It doesn't mean I could go down to the Chevy dealership tonight and lay hands on a new 2020 Suburban and believe. Well, God may not want me to have that. He may just want me to be content with the 2007 model I'm driving. And it's doing just fine. He's been keeping it running a long time now. It does, it does. See, that's where, that's where a lot of your religious television preachers get messed up. No, it's under the condition that what we're believing in and praying for lines up with the will of God. The possibilities of this prayer of faith. But then the posture in verse 25, he said, And when ye stand praying... Now there's a posture we don't hear talked about a lot when we hear about prayer. When ye stand. Now that helped me when I got a hold of that. Because I was always taught the way the only way you could talk to God, you gotta get on you gotta get down on your knees and bury your face in the couch or the chair. You gotta have your hands folded. You know what I found out? When I pray like that, I get sleepy. Eyes closed, I mean face buried in the couch. I get tired real come on, am I preaching to anybody honest here tonight? Now that is a posture you will find in the Bible. There's several postures of prayer. But right here he said, When ye stand, pray. I found out some of the most, uh, most sincere, deepest prayer I've ever had sometimes was just when I was out for my daily walk, just walking up and down the road. And while I was walking, trying to stay healthy, you know, I was also having good fellowship with my Lord, walking with Him. Sometimes just driving down the road in the car. When I'm driving down the road by myself, I've had some very good prayer meetings with the Lord. You know the key to this thing about prayer? You just got to find what works for you. Find what works for you and do it. The point is, just don't, don't stop praying. Keep praying. Even when it gets hard, even when it, you feel like sometimes your prayer, prayers are hitting the ceiling, just keep praying. But you've got to find what works for you. Supernatural faith. Then lastly, I see that the Lord is looking for sincere forgiveness. He's not interested in our leaves. He's looking for forgiveness. In verse 25, we see the practice 
of forgiveness. He said, and when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any. Now we're told that faith is essential to the success of prayers. But then it's added that no prayer can be heard from an unforgiving heart. Maybe somebody's hurt you, they've trespassed against you, and they've tried to make it right, and you just, you're not willing to forgive. Your leaves are showing. The Lord's looking for forgiveness. Can, can we look at something, and I want you to turn in your Bible, and we're not getting off topic. We're going to stay on topic, and we'll come back to Mark and finish up in just a moment. But look at Luke chapter 17. I believe Luke chapter 17 probably lays out one of the most clear instructions in this thing of forgiveness. And there's a certain, there's a certain element of forgiveness and the process of it that most people, most preachers, most Christian counselors completely overlook and leave out. In Luke chapter 17, our Lord is dealing with offenses and trespasses and how, how to fix them, how to have restoration. Notice what He said in verse number 3 of Luke 17. He said, Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. So the first step, is if somebody's offended you, you go to them and rebuke them. You make sure that they know that they've wronged you. He didn't say, go get on the telephone and tell everybody else what so-and-so did. He didn't say, get on Facebook and you know, make a post like, boy, some people just really know how to rub you the wrong way. No, he said, go to that person that offended you and rebuke them. That, 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 hold on, that does not mean to go out in the parking lot tonight and, and beat the tar out of them. That's not what that means. It does mean that you go to them in a Christian-like manner and you say, here's what you've done. This offended me. Make them aware of it. See, by running to everybody else and telling them what somebody did, you're not solving the problem. You're creating a bigger problem because now you've brought division and now it's a, it's a full-on war. Go to them. Rebuke them. Because the truth is, they may not even realize that what they did hurt you. They may have said something and not even they had no ill intention at all, and, but yet they hurt you. And they don't even realize they did it. And so here you are, you're going 20 years being mad at somebody, and they don't even know what they did. They ain't even aware that they did anything. Well, Brother Daniel, they ought to know what they did. Well, maybe they should. But Jesus said, go to them and rebuke them. And then it said in verse 3, and if you repent, forgive him. So there's the rebuking of the trespass, but then there's the repentance of the trespass. When that person has been confronted with their offense, they have an obligation to repent. Now, Brother Prophet, we completely overlook that right there. And I don't know how many people have sat in a counseling session. I mean people that have been molested, women that have been raped, people that have been hurt. And some Christian counselor or some preacher has sat there and said, well now the first step to moving on from this, you're going to have to forgive them. Yeah, but they, they haven't repented. They haven't matter. You've got to forgive them. It's not what Jesus said. 
He said, if you repent, forgive him. And I couldn't tell you how many preachers I've heard say things like, you know, the reason we're not seeing revival in our church is because of a spirit of unforgiveness. And I would say that's true. But then they'll make this statement, it don't matter whether they apologize or make it right, you forgive them anyway. I think I'm going to go with what Jesus said. He said, if you repent. Well, but Brother Daniel, I mean, you know, my grandpappy always said, don't matter what grandpappy said, matters what Jesus said. Well, but Brother Daniel, my favorite preacher from years ago, he just always said, doesn't matter what your favorite preacher said. I'm going to go with what Jesus said in the King James Bible. If you repent, forgive him. And I'll tell you where the bitterness comes a lot of times in people's lives. It's when they get that bad counsel. And Brother Prophet, they're sitting there thinking, He's, this, this person that has wronged me has shown absolutely no sorrow. How in the world can I forgive them? And they go through their life carrying that bitterness because they don't even realize they can move on and let it go because somebody gave them some unscriptural counsel. And so I'm trying to help you here tonight. Some of you don't like this and some of you are getting some help from it. I praise the Lord either way. Somebody, some people have been hurt. You've had a hard time moving on because you got some bad counsel. I'm here to tell you, you can just let that thing go and give it to God and go on with your life. Now you will have to find a way to move on and let it go, casting all you care upon Him for He careth for you, and go on and just have joy in your life. If He repent, but now then He did say, forgive Him, if He repent. So there's the rebuke, there's the repentance, then there's the restoration. If somebody is trying to get right with you, forgive them. Don't hold a grudge. Don't have the attitude of, I ain't going to forgive you after what you did to me. I mean, some people are trying to get right, and some people won't let them get right. You're going to hold it over their head forever, and now you're the one that's in sin. Now you're the one that's under the wrath of God. Because here this other person, they're trying to get right. But you ain't going to let them. Tell you what the Lord's looking for. He's looking for sincere forgiveness. Amen. Back in chapter number 11 of Mark, Mark chapter 11, the reason I ran over there, I was, I was teaching on that lesson one time. And a lady came to me and she said, well, Brother Daniel, I, just, I think you ought to forgive him anyway. I said, well, what did Jesus say? Well, I know, but and she said, but in Mark chapter number 11, he said that we're to forgive them. So I asked the lady this, I said, well, did Jesus contradict himself? Obviously, brother prophet, when he says this in Mark chapter number 11, he has those words in Luke chapter 17 in mind. That's why you got to compare scripture with scripture. You got to get it. I mean, you got to get all the verses on the subject because the Lord never contradicted himself. I tell you what he is looking for. He is looking for forgiveness. If somebody, if somebody has wronged you and they're, try, they're looking for restoration and, they, and they're repenting, we're to forgive. We see the practice of forgiveness. We see the purpose of forgiveness. He said in the end of verse 25 that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. 
Here's the thing. We have no right to expect mercy. We're not willing to extend mercy. And I tell you what, there, there's an old fleshly nature still inside of us. There's an old man. And that old man sometimes will say, I don't want to forgive them. Man, I've been there. Somebody hurt you bad. And then even when they do try to get right, that old man still says, I don't want to forgive you. And I tell you what the Spirit of God will say, you've been forgiven much. And you need to show some forgiveness. That's what the Lord's looking for. He's looking for sincere forgiveness. He's looking for faith. He's, he's looking for fruit. He's not interested in our leaves. And I'm afraid so many of our churches, even our independent Bible-believing Baptist churches, we, we've, become, we've become all about the leaves and all about the outward appearance. How nice our buildings look and, and how big of a crowd we can get in our buildings and, and how nice we dress and our, our suits and ties and our, and our pretty Sunday dresses we put on to come to church. And nothing wrong with those things, but if that's all you've got, God's not one bit impressed. And there's people that are going to come through those doors. They don't need leaves. They need fruit. They need something that will satisfy that hunger. Quench that thirst. Our leaves, our little religious leaves, they're killing us, church. There's a lack of revival because we've become so impressed with our leaves. You know what? In about a month, all these leaves are going to, they're going to finally die off and they're going to fall to the ground. And you know what I'm going to do at my house? I'm going to get my boys out there. I'm going to put a rake in their hand. They're going to rake up them leaves and then we're going to have a big fire. We're going to burn them. You know what some of us need to do here tonight? We need to bring some leaves down to this altar and set them on fire and say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of just having leaves. I want something that's going to please you. I want something that's going to help some wayward sinner out here. Burn your leaves. I hope when the Lord looks at our life, when He looks at this church, He sees more than just leaves. We're standing to our feet tonight. If you're able, musicians are coming.